I, I, you think people in suits are, aren't also shield bags? Is this what you're telling? I, mean, I was just going, thinking, on, like, going on CBC Rock. is like uh, bull posting for boomers. Like it's, it's sort of the functional equivalent. What do you? What do you? What do you yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. It's it's the Bill Ackman, Carl Icahn version, you know, of like of being right. It's their crypto Twitter. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two pawns. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, um, I named trading them. firms who were very involved. Um, I like that ETH is the ultimate pawn. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So quick intros. First, you got Tom, the DeFi maven and master of memes. Hello, everyone. Next, we've got Robert, the crypto connoisseur and czar of Superstate. GM, everybody. Next, we've got Tarun, the Giga Brain and Grand Poobah at Gauntlet. Aloha. And finally, I'm Haseeb, the head hype man at Dragonfly. So we are early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Please see choppingblock.xyz for more disclosures. So, uh, guys... So excited to talk more about the ETFs. Uh, we were just bitching backstage about how bored we are of the <laughs> ETF story. But are, how, how are you guys feeling about ETFs? I mean, I think everybody is in the ETF hangover at this point where there was so much attention, so much focus. It's been roughly a week since, not even a week <laughs> since they've gone live. Uh, it's been really two trading days last week and one trading day this week, which we don't have the data for because data comes out in slow, inefficient, tr traditional market ways after hours. Um, I, I feel like you know we're all in the hangover period. The data, I'm sure we're going to go into, it's somewhat exciting. Um, it's most exciting on a relative basis between different competitive ETFs and between Grayscale and the rest of the market. So. I'm excited to dig in so we can put the story to bed and never talk about it ever again. Hopefully never talk about it again, but we'll see if that plays out. So, okay. High level stats. Um, so obviously the, the, I mean, the, the, the primary interesting thing was that it ended up being a sell the news event, which is more or less what a lot of people were predicting. I think we were alluding to that on the show. Um, that's more or less what happened. Bitcoin slumped, you know, three, 4%, I think after all of this. Uh, but the trading, I, I think the, the trading in the volume was roughly, I think, in line with expectations. Uh, these things traded quite a lot, especially relative to most ETF launches. Uh, and the big winners and losers were basically, depending on how you measure it, uh, so Grayscale, as expected, had net outflows. They're obviously, you know, they're the only one that could really have net outflows at, at their scale. Um, that said, you know, of course, their AUM is $26.5 billion, and the net outflows were about 500 and 600, 600 million that uh, exited from GBTC, which is a lot less than what I was expecting. Uh, that said, it is only the first three trading days, so there may be more time for people to end up realizing their grayscale and getting out of something, getting out of grayscale given the fees are, you know, an order of magnitude higher than any of the other vehicles. Uh, but right now, actually, they're holding on to most of their assets. So actually, it looks like if this continues, it may end up being an amazing business for grayscale to hold on to their, uh, their Bitcoin trust. And they've had much more volume than anybody else. So their total volume over the last three days has been, uh, is that 5.1 billion in trading volume for the Grayscale BTC Trust. Uh, the next biggest by volume is the iShares uh, BlackRock Trust, which is uh, 2 billion in, for their ETF, and then Fidelity at 1.5 billion, and then it kind of falls off from there. For assets, for net assets, like who actually is custodying and charging fees on Bitcoin? Right now, uh, GBTC number one at 26 and a half billion. Then there's uh, BlackRock at 500 million, way smaller, obviously. Uh, then Fidelity at 427 million. Then Bitwise at 225 million. And then it kind of falls off from there. So that's, that's how the horse race is looking. Any surprises in there? Anything that jumped out at you guys? You, 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 told, you talked about the wrong winner in this whole scenario, by the way. Completely ignored the real winner, which is which was yeah. Jane Street. Oh, <laughs> which is Jane Street. Okay, like a hundred percent. Like being the authorized participant on everyone, you know. Like also just the fact that you have fucking authorized participants is how boring Trabzai is. Like I have to have a whitelist always. Like what a boring like kind of like an NFT whitelist. You know, it's like it's an it's, NFT it's whitelist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. They're like, they're like keepers. It, you it's know, kind of, they're, that's they're why approved keepers. It's, it's the same thing. 
that is no, yeah, no, no. I, I there, there are there are it is tr- it is true, but uh, I, I think like there are protocols that don't have that. Right. Yeah, so I mean, maybe there's a dumb question, but like, why, why, like, so I presume there's some set of people who are authorized participants generally. Why do the ETFs have like this whitelist of like we have two authorized participants as opposed to everybody who is sufficiently sophisticated and is a general, you know, kind of uh, person of interest cannot just be like, yo, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some stuff for your ETF. Here, here's my only half educated answer. It's because it's as few as necessary to just ensure that somebody is able to go through the arbitrage process while minimizing paperwork and complexity that comes from having many participants. Because the process of the relationship between like the ETF itself and the authorized participant, like there's a lot of like tech integration and stuff, like, you know. There's it doesn't sound like there's a lot of tech integration here. <laughs> if they're getting a fucking AUM a day after, like, what tech? Like, they have to email someone and say, please credit my shares to this account. Like, you I, know. I thought they were faxing them or, you know, maybe carrier pigeons. Yeah, like that. there's really fax. no APIs for this. <laughs> That's this is insane. Well, I, I, I actually think uh, one thing to keep in mind is... Uh, the there there were for some types of ETFs there are actually more stringent requirements for APs. So I, I don't know the exact history of like exactly why in the eighties the equity APs versus commodity APs differed. But commodity APs you actually have to prove that you can in the worst case take delivery. Not for every commodity. But this is cash for commodities that require No no no. The AP is dealing with the cash, but they also have to guarantee that they can trade in the real spot market if they but can't with so the bitcoin like, there's like some the requirement no not with bitcoin not with bitcoin no i'm just talking, saying for et commodity etfs in general usually the, there's this argument that the ap needs to also be able to trade the spot metals market and take receipt and so then they were like okay we don't want people who are like trading this thing but then can't clear and then the market has trouble clearing because like the so, so, so there's some historical reason for that. Okay, so, but if, that if I remember, AP, there's like a lot more regulation. Okay, so if, if if an authorized participant is like, "Yo, also, I'm going to take delivery of this," of this for, and for they the suck at it, it's kind of like, who cares? Like that's your fault. That's like your problem, not the ETF's problem. But no, no, no. Then the ETF might not be tracking its index, uh, tracking its like index price correctly, right? That the, they they really want that. They don't care about anything else, and. They have a lot of rules for who can who 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 actually can do both sides in in certain markets. So, so you're saying if there's a copper ETF that holds spot copper in warehouses somewhere, the authorized participants have to be able to take delivery of copper on their own. In the worst case, yeah, they have to be set up to do that, right? Okay, yeah, right. Sure. Like, like, I think this yeah. is like this okay. is like a this, this is, is like a worst okay. case. So totally right irrelevant to the Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, fine. Okay, let's move on. Um, all right, so Bitcoin ETFs. Hopefully, this is the last time we're going to talk about this. If you care about this, there's I'm sure there's other podcasts for you. Um, related to the ETF, so I think Larry Fink has just been bull posting nonstop on CNBC about how crypto is the future and tokenization is the future. Um, apparently, Bitcoin is no different from gold, he said on January 12th. Uh, and he's talking about how tokenization is the next generation of securities. Oh, I agree. I guess it was a good ETF launch. I don't know what the, yeah, like, what, I, like to be clear, I more or less agree with him. But um, I don't know, kind of surprising to see Larry Fink going out and, and like talking like Suzu all of a sudden. Uh, what's your guys, what's the, what's the vibe, uh, from your guys' perspective on what's happening here? I, I, you think people in suits are, aren't also shill bags? Is this what you're telling? I, mean, I was just going on, like, going on CBC rock. is like, uh, bull posting for boomers. Like it's, it's sort of the functional equivalent. What do you, what do you, what do you, yeah, exactly. 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 It's, it's the Bill Ackman, Carl Icahn version, you know, of like, of being. Right. It's their crypto Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Although Bill Ackman has clearly moved from CNBC to Twitter now. That's true. That's true. He's playing a different game now. Um, yeah. I don't know. But, so, but Larry Fink has been kind of alluding to the fact that he thinks Ether ETF is, is going to launch this year. So TLDR, we will definitely be talking about we'll talk about more ETF stuff later this year. Uh, it seems like right now a lot of people are speculating that it's going to happen mid-year, sometime in the summer. May. Uh, May. May seems to be the time. 
Uh, I don't know, Robert, as the resident ETF expert, what's your view on Ether ETF and likelihoods there? Well, I think the important thing is to understand why people think it's going to happen in May. Um, and the reason why people think it's going to happen in May at this point is because um, the applications by BlackRock and others for Ether ETFs have a final decision date in May. And everyone thinks it's going to follow the exact same pattern of the Bitcoin ETFs, where when it finally gets to BlackRock's ETF, you know, the SEC is obviously going to prove it because what's BlackRock's record? What is it, like 850 to one or something like that between getting an ETF approved versus rejected? And, you know, it'd be unreasonable for the SEC to reject so many ETFs again without having a good differentiated rationale for why they would even be rejected in the first place. Because if you look at the underlying thought process, well, they approved Ether Futures ETFs in the same way that they approved Ether, as uh, Bitcoin Futures ETFs. And then based on the court decision in Grayscale versus SEC, they had to acknowledge that there isn't enough of a difference between futures and spot as the underlying. And if they've already gone and approved futures, they may as well approve spot as well. And so there's a couple different, you know, small leaps of logic, but very basic, you know, obvious ones that, well, if there's an Ether futures ETF that's already live, and there's all of these Ether spot applications all coming due in May, that's when it's going to go live. No one can confirm it. No one can guarantee it. But if you're a betting person, a lot of people are now betting on this as being the sort of like straightforward, it's going to happen event, and that's going to be the time frame of it. Thing I was going to to try to to say is like if you read Gary's whiny letter though, he's like, we'll never. It, it makes it sound like the opposite, right? It's like, wow, we didn't we didn't want to approve this. This doesn't have my approval. Okay, why did you vote for it? But then, you know, like immediately goes after everything else. So like, do you really think a Ether's futures ETF is possible given that type of language? Yes. Um, you know, if you look at his statements after he, you know, gets on TV after the approval, you know, he was basically saying, you know, this is an ETF that's a cash ETF that's cabined to exposure to one commodity asset <laughs> and it's wrapped in a nice security form. And so what's there really to be afraid of at the end of the day was basically the statement. And, you know, after the Bitcoin spot ETF has gone live, we have seen significantly less volatility in Bitcoin. We haven't really seen any market dislocations or abnormalities. It almost seems like a boring, you know, morning after. And, you know, if you look at how boring, you know, the post ETF launch is, you know, I think it, you know, should be a relief to the SEC and to market participants that this is not as exciting as people thought it was going to be. It was more a, you know, political process you know, to reject it and then eventually approve it. Yeah, I think the other side of that too is that, um, so the, the, the Ether's future ETF is regulated by the CFTC. If, now obviously Gary Gensler has been very evasive on answering the question to anybody who asks, is Ether a security? But through his behavior, we can kind of see that he's actually conceded uh, the ground. Because if the Ether futures, if, if Ether is a, is a security, then Ether futures are also securities and therefore they should be regulated not by the CFTC, but by the SEC. And the fact that the SEC was like, yeah, that's no, fine. We, we, we don't need to regulate that. Uh, and they gave the jurisdiction to the CFTC basically means that they are, they, they've already conceded that, hey, we, this thing does not need to be under our kind of regulatory thumb. Uh, and so I think it's hard now for them to undo that decision, even though, yes, they've not publicly said that, hey, Ether is uh, not a security. But to be fair, haven't hasn't there always been the like, hey, proof of stake is not the same, whatever you know? Like, I, no, I do no, no, remember no. So there was like I, all I, these, there were all these SEC proclamations on around yeah. the merge, like, oh, Ethereum might. Well, be no, 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 no. So I, but I, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't know how those. To be resolved. clear, those were very vague statements, and I think most of that, what that is referring to, is like staking intermediaries. I, I think people saw the very broad language and were like, oh my God, he thinks proof of stake is a security, which is like not at all what he has, what he, he did not literally say that. And he has like the pattern of enforcement has been very, very clear. They're going after staking intermediaries when they claim like that, you know, Soul, right, like Kraken, like Coinbase, when they say that 
soul is security or near is security or this is security, that is security. The, the, the claim, the argument made is that like, well, look, they do proof of stake, therefore it's a security. Not once has he ever levied that argument against an asset. It's always about issuance and here you know, there's a team and blah, blah, blah. So I, I, I think that's a misreading of what the SEC has claimed. They, they were very vague, but obviously staking does not like that, that's such a tortured argument that staking would make something a security. And that's not what the SEC has literally claimed. Okay, well, that's good to know because, like, I, I don't yeah, know. It's, I always it's a meme that has so gotten very popular on crypto Twitter that somehow Gary Gensler thinks yeah. that like staking makes you a security, which is which is just not true. Um, so anyway, uh, cool. So other news: Circle has filed uh, confidentially filed for an IPO. Like, well, I guess not that confidential. Congratulations, thing. Circle. Uh, <laughs> well, they haven't IPO'd yet, right? And obviously, it is kind of an icy IPO environment. Um, and it also has been, as we've, I think we talked about this uh, in our end of year episode, it's been a relatively rough year for Circle. Well, 2023 was. So USDC market share has gotten hit pretty bad. Uh, I think it's gone down from 55 billion at the peak now to like 25 billion. Uh, that said, and, and at the same time, interest rates are projected to compress, right? So like the, the 10 years down, five years down. Uh, so the expectation is that interest rates are going to decline this year. We're going to start seeing rate cuts. And that means that, you know, it's a big blow to the business model of all the stable coins. So, you know, if interest rates go towards 2%, 2.5%, that's basically chopping your revenue in half on a going forward basis. So but that said, it's not, it's not chopping in half the revenue of BlackRock, who is managing all the assets behind USDC. They're going to make their 20 basis points regardless of how much Circle makes, which is when we go Very back true. to why is Larry Fink so excited about crypto all of a sudden, it's yet another arrow in the quiver of why Larry is so excited about crypto is because he's going to be one of the biggest beneficiaries of USDC growth, especially in a lower rate environment. Fair, fair, very true, very true. Um, so anyway, USDC going public, how, how do you guys think this is going to be received in financial markets? I think terribly. Um, terribly? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just say that now, simply because Coinbase was so poorly received by the public markets, because the public market said, oh, crypto is volatile, it has cycles, the revenue is not predictable, it's all based on- Well, when trade. Coinbase came out, when it was and actually it was when it actually did IPO, it was a blockbuster IPO. I know. And then after that, as the market well, itself- direct Yes. And after that, as the crypto market itself cooled- the public markets did not treat Coinbase very well at all. I mean, Coinbase went from three hundred dollars to thirty in the thirties with the three handle, right? Um, because of the volatile nature of its revenue and income, and you know, I have a feeling that USDC will be and Circle will be treated the same way, which is that the market's not going to appreciate the fact that you know there's cycles and that. You know, the stablecoin float grows and shrinks sometimes, and rates go up and down sometimes. I think they're going to see potentially a decreasing revenue story because the total supply of USDC is going down and interest rates are going down and get really afraid. And I personally think Circle should have gone public a year ago <laughs> when the numbers were way bigger. I mean, they tried going public maybe two years ago now um, through a SPAC, which didn't occur. And so, you know, I think the timing of this is a little bit late for Circle. And I think that, you know, they're going to get perceived negatively in the public markets because it's a declining chart. And even though, you know, people in, in our corner of the world say, well, it's declining now, but just wait another three years, like, you know, rocket ship, you know, um, I think public markets have less crypto familiarity and just won't you know, vibe with that, so to speak. So I think it's going to be a cool reception. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. There was a, actually a pretty decent thread talking about how a lot of these um, equities that are sort of pseudo crypto exposure, kind of pre-ETF like Coinbase or MicroStrategy, basically all the premium is totally compressed with the launch of the ETFs. And I think with Coinbase, you could tell a story around, oh, you're buying, you know, sort of proxy crypto exposure, you're getting some, some convexity, to public markets, which you know kind of goes both ways, but market goes back up, Coinbase does well. With Circle, it's a tougher story, right? Because it's like interest rates go down. Um, well, that's also Circle's revenue, and we haven't even seen a clear story that like that would even lead to more issuance. So it's like you're not buying 
sort of pass through exposure to Bitcoin, which you, you might not even want anymore because you have the ETF. Like, what are you really buying with this this business? Unless you think there's some totally new third category that they're that they're building out. Well, I mean, people have seen. So here's here's my bull case for Circle. Um, so one is that okay, right now Circle is you know twenty five billion dollars roughly of USDC. Currently at five percent interest rates, I'm sure they're paying a little bit to BlackRock and all these other people in the middle. But you know, more or less five percent—that's like one over a billion dollars in revenue per year. That should be basically all margin, right? They, I mean, they, they, their, their fixed costs are pretty minimal for managing a gigantic stablecoin. So I think that is a really attractive business. Super high margin. It's very, very predictable relative to Coinbase, which is extremely volatile with crypto markets. Um, and so it's much easier to forecast their revenue, which I think is—I think Wall Street's going to like that. The second thing is that everyone knows the stablecoin regulation is coming. And to the extent that stablecoin regulation does arrive, it's very likely, in my mind, to favor Circle over Tether, which are basically the only two stablecoin issuers who matter at this point. Uh, and I, I think it's very likely if you see uh, regulation that basically says you need a banking charter to issue a US dollar stablecoin, that Circle gets one and Tether, it's like, oh, you know, I don't know, we don't quite trust you. Um, and they basically kind of get you know, regulated out of existence, potentially. Uh, if that happens, and and so third, okay, so that, there's, a, there's a strong regulatory story there, I think that is relatively foreseeable. And then third is just this perception that stablecoins are growing, which, okay, maybe they didn't grow too much in the last couple of years, but obviously it was a pretty you know choppy environment for a lot of reasons. Um, but I think most people would expect that, especially if you see stablecoin regulation, stablecoin issuance is going to grow significantly over the next few years. And Circle is going to benefit from that just as much as anybody else is. So I think most people project that stablecoins are not going to sit around at like, you know, the, the order of magnitude of 100 billion of stablecoins. What is it, like 130, 40 total stablecoins, something like that? I don't think yep. most people think it's going to be sideways. So yes, interest rates are going to chop in half, but I, I think most people predict that stablecoins are going to grow by more than 2x over the period of time while rates are getting cut. Um, that's my, here, there, there's my bull case for Circle. Yeah, I would agree with you, I think, if they ran the company more like Tether. Like in some ways they are kind of the Coinbase of stable coins where like they're doing things the right Silicon Valley, US, you know, regulated way, but- Hey, they're yeah. in Boston. But the, the downside is like, you know, the actual em employee costs are massive, right? Like Tether made what, like almost $200 million per employee, super bare bones um, operation. Um, you know, Coinbase or Circle did a bunch of layoffs. Like, you know, they have a very large staff. So they're actually like not extremely profitable, even though you're right on paper, Hey, running a stablecoin business is actually like a great business. Um, but I, I hear you on on the regulatory bit. But you know, the flip side is you know, FTX was able to acquire a, you know a shitty bank and get a bank charter. Like I don't see why, why Tether wouldn't be able to. But uh, maybe that's thinking too optimistically. Isn't it a different charter or something? There's like some weird thing that they want for stablecoin issuers. Is it is it just you own a bank charter? I don't know. In the bill, does anyone know? Good question. We will have Jeremy okay. well, on a future show to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, no shade we to did Jeremy. It. We did have Jeremy, Jeremy before, love circle. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. No, Jeremy's the man. Uh, yeah, I I would also put myself in the. I don't think it will perform super well. Not because, yeah, not because of all the things you said, but I actually feel like because it's so easy to underwrite in terms of like pricing it it like will get valued like a REIT or a bond fund and it won't get this like extravagant PE ratio type of thing like it, it won't be treated as a tech company it'll be treated like a REIT almost right like which has like no premium right now in the current uh, current market so like I just kind of feel like people might just view it as a bond fund I don't know if that's true I mean it's like, like, it's like kind like of stable coins are one of the only things that tradfy people who like crypto are like look I don't know about all this crypto stuff but like dollars on a blockchain I I, awesome. I, I, I totally get you but I totally get what you're saying but like I just feel like people will look at the cash flows of this and then they'll look at the cash flows of a REIT and they'll say it like reminds them of it or it reminds them of a bond right. fund. It, like it, 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 it's, it's not, it's like, it's almost, it's, it's, it's this kind of paradox people always talk about, which is like investing in a company with no revenue, but like a story, people will give like valuation X. Invest in a company that has story adjacent to, to that one and has a ton of revenue, it gets a valuation less than X, right? Like you can always dream of this kind of like, oh, it, anything could happen once it doesn't have revenue. But once it's locked in the cage, it becomes a lot harder. And in particular, public markets very, very rarely are 
I think as egregious as crypto, let's say, with the 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 narrative running ahead of the usage or fees or revenue. And I think in this case, they're just literally going to be like, okay, this is this is kind of a bond fund. It's like you know, they, it, it has like this like cash flow analysis that like looks like a very boring company that won't get a P very high. And like, I think that's the problem. It's like, it, it to me, it seems, I mean, it's not a problem. It's really amazing they're able to hopefully have this liquidity event. I just am saying, I, I think it looks too much like what a spreadsheet monkey would Here is my see. non-financial advice for Jeremy. If there was a USDC equity token and it was airdropped to everyone who's ever used USDC, <laughs> I guarantee you the market cap on that token would be like 4X what it would be as a my favorite my free my favorite favorite tweet today was someone pointing out that the market cap of bonk on solana is greater than spirit airlines after the the antitrust uh decision killed their market cap ah okay unfortunate unfortunate (laughs) (laughs) the the crypto markets are very good at capital effectively yeah that's right as we've learned very well over the last few years let me tell you yeah the utility of bonk is clearly clearly higher than that of spirit airlines but i i just i just am trying to say like i think there is this tradfi problem which is like if you look if you look to tradfi Good luck with your multiple. It's not it, like it needs to look like foreign or like a little bit. And it, it circles business doesn't kind it of look, look like foreign. <laughs> no, it sounds dumb, but it's just true. People want some. They want. They it's have. Like they want to racism. imagine. If there's nothing imagined. Yeah. If you look foreign, you get a yeah, better. Yeah, it's like yeah, you, you can like stake that. your USDC and run a USDC validator. I think that, and then you get yield or so. I don't know. You, you know, you tell a story. <laughs> oh, I'm that. all about that. Oh, Jeremy, if you're listening, we need that USDC staking to run the validator for USDC. USDC roll up. USDC roll up. USDC restaking roll up. Post the data on Celestia. I think that is how you get to 100. Oh, for, for we got it. We got it. This I, I nailed I'm, it. I feel like we're about to get like hard retweeted by USDC bull. You know that guy? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I think that guy's Tarun. I thought yeah. that's his alt. Is that Tarun? Tarun has a lot of alts. It's, it's hard yeah, to Yeah, he has like him. 32 alts. I, I do not. I don't, I, I don't have any alts because I don't like giving myself schizophrenia. I think people who have alts, when you meet them in person, they're like, the, A, there's always the like, is anyone looking while I'm using my phone? And then the, there's the B, like, them worried about someone tr- who has figured it out and like then they're they're cage it's like uh i feel like there's just so much there's so much. well this is why we had quart on the show last episode so that people would no longer speculate that it was tarun or myself or anyone else it did kind of sound like tarun to be honest Correct. actually if i think about it just like with a little twang i feel like yeah that that could have been tarun with a voice yeah. changer it's gotten really good it hard for me to prove that that's true that's true um, so speaking, speaking of USDC, there was also some news this week about Tether. Uh, there was a UN report about Tether talking about, uh, I think it was the Casino Underground Banking Report, which claimed that Tether is used for a lot of Southeast Asia-based human trafficking and pig butchering scams. So actually, I, I'm, I'm in Singapore right now, and I was hearing um, a lot of people talk about these Southeast Asian like um, slavery fraud farms where basically they will enslave people, like literally kidnap and enslave them and get them to work on these, in these like fraud um, compounds. And basically they're not, you know, they're not allowed to go home until they work off their whatever slavery debt or something. Um, And a lot of what they are doing is crypto romance scams. So they are just sitting there all day messaging people on Telegram or whatever. And, you know, like when you, when you get a WhatsApp message, it's like, hi, uh, pick me up at four. And you're just like, what, what the, what's going on? Um, these are people who are basically trying to get you into some kind of romance scam. They'll eventually tell you, hey, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm whatever, some beautiful woman from such and such place. And or maybe men too, I don't know. Uh, and I'm very successful and I made a lot of money through crypto. And I love yield farming. And here's, there's this great yield farm that you should try. And they get you to, you know, send money. to the, And this is a huge thing. And they make a lot of money doing it. Uh, and apparently the most common asset they use is Tether. And so the the um, the UN called out Tether for being used, I guess, in these kind of scams. 
Uh, I, I don't know that there's really that much that Tether can do about this kind of thing. Uh, it seems like, okay, well, if it's not Tether, it's going to be Bitcoin or Ether or whatever. If anything, Tether, it's probably better they're using Tether because it can actually get frozen uh, relative to other assets. But um, then on the other side, the other story about Tether was that uh, Howard Lutnick, who is the CEO of uh, Cantor Fitzgerald, was on, I guess he was on CNBC the other day. And he basically said like, yeah, Tether has all the money. We saw it. We manage a lot of their money and it's all there. So uh, tough shit, Tether truthers. So yeah, any any reflections on Tether, slavery, uh, fraud, fraud rings, reactions? Love to see Tether truthers eat it, you know, that's great. Um, I don't know. I mean, I do like wonder at a certain point, I feel like you have to put a, you know, expiry on your, on your predictions or your, your, your doomsaying. And like, I feel like Tether truthers have gotten a free ride basically since like 2017 on, on talking shit about Tether. And like, I feel like some way to put a stake in the ground as to when you think the Tether fraud will be revealed. Otherwise you just sound insane. You know, it's, it's like 9-11 truthers. Like, you know, it's been, it's been 20 years. You haven't you've come, up, come up with any great, you know, fraud evidence yet. It just feels like uh, these people shouldn't be able to get a free ride. As in terms of the the Southeast Asian money laundering stuff, uh, you know, like the Laotian and Cambodian borders are, I guess, the most famous places for where these things are because people are like, I guess, like Chinese mobsters or something, like somehow control these like brothels slash whatever. Um, it's it's in the it's in the other uh, FTX book number go down or whatever. The other one Zeke Fox number go up. Number grab, sorry. Uh, he spends a Spoiler bunch. He has a chapter covering this. Uh, sorry, yeah, I should have. Uh, whatever. Uh, you, you can no, I mean, the, the spoiler I, is that number go down after number go up. That's the spoiler. Anyway. Uh, but but I I think the the thing about this type of stuff is like if you look at it historically, it it was kind of just done in USD before. Actually, people didn't even want to use Roman before it. So it's it's almost like it's more in the open when it's done in Tether. So I, I, I don't know. Like, obviously, it's really bad and it's like ethically malicious or, and stuff. But I actually think it's probably more transparent that it's happening than it was when it was done in cash. Yeah, to be clear, so I mean, the, I, I, part I of the story I, was that... I'm not trying to say there's anything... Yeah, yeah. Part of the story was that uh, Tether and OKX both collaborated to freeze $225 million uh, that was connected to right. one of these fraud I, I, don't, I don't think you could have done right. that. I, could, I don't think no, you could have done that. Nigerian prince email scams, you know, wire me, wire me your money. Like, you know, this or is send me going in for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, gift cards. Send me a send gift me, card. Yeah, send me a gift card. Wait, is that, was surprisingly is that effective. Used to yeah, be people yeah, what, would be like, what, it's yeah. the IRS, you owe back taxes. Yeah. <laughs> you need, send me a hundred dollar Amazon <laughs> gift card. It's a thing. I did not know this. Wow. No, no, it's a very... Well, don't you remember all those like Bitcoin gift card companies oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for a while? I mean, the, that whole market was bootstrapped off the fact that people were like trading gift cards. And some of the gift card demand was certainly illicit. Yeah, just that, that's so bizarre. I've never seen that, like gift card scams of like, I don't know how you would convince somebody that you're a very important person and you need Amazon gift cards. That just You work with the tools you're given, you know? Yeah, no, fair enough. So, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, USDT, I guess, is a boon to both uh, to pig butcherers, which is the name for you know these people who uh, do these kind of romance scam type things, uh, and then um, it's also a boon to law enforcement. So obviously, kind of both sides are turbocharged. I think in this new stablecoin uh, future that we all live in. So okay. Um, Next up on news, so Vivek Ramaswamy, friend of the podcast who we had on a, an episode not too long ago talking about his uh, campaign, has unfortunately dropped out of the race. Well, fortunately, unfortunately, depending on how you feel. Uh, he's dropped out of the race. Uh, I think uh, Iowa primaries did not go his way. He was a pretty distant fourth behind Trump, of course, who, who swept the primaries. And then, uh, 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 what's her names? Uh, Nikki, Nikki Haley, Haley and, and then, uh, uh, what's his face? Ron DeSantis. Big face, yeah, Ron DeSantis. Um, Meatball Ron, they call him. Big, big face. He has a big face. Do you not? Do you not believe he has a big face? I feel like his face is like very large and flat. I don't think I've kind ever of, even thought about that. Like not. Really. <laughs> That's why they call him Meatball Ron. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Meatball Ron. I had to Ron? really think about like he's. That's like one of Trump's sayings from this Meatball Ron. <laughs> 
uh, because of the shape of his face, or is there a meatball anecdote about him? It, it doesn't matter. I think, but I, I suspect it's it just looks. Hey, wait, 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 wait! It's a good I, descriptor. I, since this is a podcast, <laughs> since it's a podcast about news speculation, yeah. um, I would love to uh, uh, the. I'd love to talk about um, you know Vivek almost immediately after dropping out, went to endorse Trump and like went to New Hampshire to go uh, be in the, be on stage. Um, what, let's suppose he is a cabinet member or VP or what, or whatever. Where, where do you think he ends up slotting up if say he's like joins, he, you know, cause he like folded. It, this feels like a, a thing in poker. He just folded and was like, Hey, I'm just going to like team up with them. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. He's, he's, he, he, he folded his hand and then he's going to sit beside the chip leader and be like, Oh yeah, yeah, you should, yeah. Here, here's how you should play <laughs> this one. Uh, I, I, it would be amazing if you were the VP pick, but there's almost no way he's going to be VP. Like I, I think Trump, uh, I feel like VP is pretty useless. I would rather it just be like a secretary of Treasury. I think if, no, if Whether he were VP, I mean, I don't think you'd be treasury. If he were VP, because Trump has so few actual opinions on policy, um, I think basically Vivek would set policy and Trump would just be like, cool, yeah, that sounds great. Like, let's go on TV. So I, I think it would actually be, I think you'd, you'd basically get Vivek policies and Trump rhetoric if Vivek were VP, but I, I think there's almost no way he's going to be VP. Um, I, he'd probably get some kind of cabinet thing and it's probably not going to be super interesting. Like FDA or something. Yeah, I was just say, remember when Trump won in 2016 and there was a brief moment where people were like, Obology is going to run the FDA? And I feel like this yeah, is like right. a very kind of perverted, you know, spiritual successor where it's like, it's not quite Bology, but you know, got a little bit of that. You got the biotech thing. It's not, you know, really 2016 anymore, but you know, it's like, you know. Well, well B Bology hates America, as you can yeah, tell. He didn't get to run the FDA. <laughs> I don't think he was. That's no. right. Well, he was planning to basically <laughs> dismantle the FDA. Yeah. And I think he, if you remember, like when that, um, when the the idea of him becoming head of the FDA was floated, he immediately deleted all of his Twitter history. And the only tweet he had left was, it was some tweet of like, don't argue to build the future. And uh, it was basically like, okay, I got to flush out all my tweets where I'm like, abolish the FDA, FDA is bullshit, FDA is a piece of shit. Because I think if he were to actually become head of the FDA, that would be his goal. And I suspect the same would be true for Ramaswamy if he were, but it would be more above board, I think, for Ramaswamy than for Herbology, because I think he's been more outspoken in that regard. So it'd be interesting. I mean, the, the, the one thing is clear is that if Ramaswamy has influence in a Trump presidency, I think that would be very good for crypto. That's pretty clear. Um, Trump, it's, it's hard for me to tell, actually, how a Trump presidency would go for crypto right now. In, in You're telling me those NFTs he sold on Polygon aren't aren't the aren't, aren't the real deal i don't know that he even knows about them that's the thing i like it's hard for me to tell i would love a debate i would love a debate host to ask trump if he has ever used a wallet and or what not. rpc cars. i think the nft holders also get like a lunch or something or like one person gets a lunch with with trump so like he must have some awareness of the trading cards the the trading card nfts you know like but yeah, I don't think he's ever... They maybe just told them they're trading cards. Like, it's possible yeah, they... Yeah, he, even more yeah, like, he didn't no. even understand what NFTs are. <laughs> no, no, I've watched the video. He goes like, buy my Trump NFTs. You know, they're amazing. He knows they're NFTs. Really? Yes. You watched the video. Did you, did you buy any Trump NFTs? I can't talk about that. <laughs> okay. No, sorry, no financial advice on the show. Wow, that was the first time. That was the first time you you've done that in a while. Because like I remember, I, I bought and I'm embarrassed to admit this to Trump NFTs. Which <laughs> ones did you buy? Can well, we see those? You couldn't. You didn't know what you were getting. It was like a blind, like you know, you purchase an NFT and then it gets. Oh, oh, you minted some. No. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I didn't I buy the secondary NFTs. market. I did not okay. buy one on the secondary. What were they? What were they? What were they? One where he's throwing money in the air. It's like raining money around him. <laughs> okay, great. What's the I second one? The other, I, I forget the other. I think it was just like him wearing like a construction hard hat or something. It was really boring. A construction hard hat. Okay, wow. This is this is very this is very exciting. <laughs> do you still hold them or do you sell them? I hold one. Um, oh, so you're I a believer? Sold, yeah, I'm. You got to hold them. Okay. 
Uh, which one? I assume you kept the hard hat because that's that's the one you keep, right? No, I think I sold the hard hat for roughly what oh. I bought it for, and I kept the money in the air making rain Trump because I think that was slightly okay. more rare. Okay, okay. It's like a zombie punk, you know. It's it's yeah. You got the, you got the rare Trump. I got the rare Trump. Yeah, you never let go of those. Yeah, you got the rare Trump. Okay, good. <laughs> exactly. Great. Yeah, hold that's it exciting. Damn! Wow. Uh, I know that was my dirty secret. Sorry. Okay, so you do. So you okay? So Trump did the the commercial for the NFT. So I guess he doesn't know what NFTs are. And Melania, of course, did NFTs as well. So it's like runs in the family. Um, so yeah, I don't know. But then he's also been on record, at least in his last administration, saying that Bitcoin is bad and evil, and he doesn't trust it, and you know something, 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 uh, and just a general distrust of new things. I think is kind of you know seems pretty central to his character. So. That said, he's incredibly commercial, and if crypto people pay him, I'm sure he'll be like, great, I love crypto, crypto is wonderful. So, I don't know. Hard to say. Hard to say. But right now, prediction markets are putting Trump as the frontrunner. Um, he's he's edged out now over Biden. I think uh, if you go to my favorite site, electionbettingodds.com, uh, which aggregates a bunch of markets, including Betfair, Polymarket, which is a crypto prediction market, uh, he is right now sitting at 43.2% to win the presidency, Biden at 32.6. So right now, um, there's not a huge edge, but significant edge to, um, Republicans potentially win. Uh, but of course we're, we're quite a ways out. So there are a lot, a lot's going to change between now and then. Anyway, um, I don't know. Those are kind of all the interesting stories. We are anything else that you guys want to chat about before we wrap for the week? This might be one we were of just lamenting. <laughs> yeah, we were just lamenting that there's that, that what we're actually excited about. And I was saying that like, there's not a ton that I'm excited about right now. What are you guys excited about? Tweet at us. Talk to us. No, I, I was Wait, asking no, three of you. you. I was, no, not, I was not asking the audience. The I was asking the three of you. Oh, I thought you were speaking to the audience directly. No, no. Um, what are you guys excited about? So, yeah. so uh, I asked this question to the audience. There were a few topics that people wanted us to talk about, but we want to do separate shows for them. So we're probably going to do a show on parallel EVMs. We're going to definitely do a show on modularity. There are a few other things that people were clamoring about. Um, what about the three of you? What are you guys excited about this year? Or right now? I want some more, uh, given that there's a now, now the Solana phone has re, uh, reanimated, emerged. <laughs> I want more of those like banana phone, Solana phone memes, like the ring, 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 Solana <laughs> phone. That's what you're excited memes. about? There were a bunch when it first came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was hilarious. I'm excited to see more of the, the banana phone, Solana phone memes because now they're going to be more as we learned. Also, talk about a recovery, right? Like, weren't they going to stop? Like, I, if I remember correctly, and then all of a sudden it like... Well, it was Bonk. So like, you it know, was Bonk that brought back Solana phone. Bonk and then and then the the chain of airdrops right. and the chain of airdrops. So what happened was the Solana phone was not popular. There was a huge amount of unsold inventory, and then as Bonk and other things started airdropping tokens to these phones, it really went nuts. Once the value of the Bonk that was airdropped to each Solana phone exceeded the cost of the phone, and then people were just buying them not only for the arbitrage because you could buy the phone for less than the crypto on the phone but based on the expectation of future airdrops. And then every single Solana phone sold out instantly. And now Solana phone's back, so. Well, the Solana phones on secondary markets are going for, they retail for $1,000. And they're going on secondary markets on eBay for like three to 4,000. So just the value of all those airdrops and the bonk and all that other shit on the phone is worth way more than the actual phone. Uh, but the new phone is supposed to be half the price. So the new phone is is projected to be four fifty, I believe. It's four fifty, yeah. They're taking oh, orders. They, they learned too. There's there's a referral system. I imagine there's going to be points involved at some point. So, oh, sick. Um, you know, they're sick. Just juicing Gotta get those points. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. There's going to be yield farming. You know, it'll be great. Yeah. All and the no one, sig. Yeah, no one is going to claim that a phone is a security, just because. Like, how could you? I mean, I think I think the ultimate growth plan is figure out how to get this sold at Costco. Because did you, have you guys seen the, all the stuff about the gold sales at Costco? What 
unreal. Costco started selling gold just directly. And it's like it there was some quarter recently it made up like 10% of revenue. <laughs> like they're selling so much gold to people. And I think like Costco is like the right distribution channel for this type of product. Does Costco so also I, I could be wrong in that percentage, but it was like a really it was like the Bloomberg article was amazing on this. Like Costco it sold hundred million dollars in gold last quarter. Um yeah, are they yeah, selling like exactly. gold bars or what are they selling? Yeah. One ounce gold bars. Yeah. <laughs> Do they buy the gold back? It's it's like as much as Cash App's Bitcoin. Like like it's like similar order of yeah. magnitude. So it's like all right. what, what is the margin that Costco takes on selling gold? I mean, not zero, much. right? It's it's wholesale. I'm sure, it's high. Yeah, then it's they like, monetize the membership, and that's why people want to buy their gold. It's, <laughs> you're getting great great execution. But I, I I think I think this is great for the Solana phone because you know. Costco's not paying for their drops. Yeah. Here's the uh. question. Will Costco buy the gold back? So can you speculate using Costco where you basically buy gold through oh, Costco? Oh, is Costco like an AMM? Yeah. Hold yeah. it and then sell it back to Costco. Or is it like a one-way flow where they're just letting people buy gold? You can probably return it. And you can use, you can use it to hedge, you know, right? Buy a bunch of gold oh, you get from Costco. Credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's good. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I think the Solana phone at Costco, because Anatoly is like Costco dad. They could literally make like the Costco dad memes and that shit would sell out. And I kind of, I kind of think that's the demographic. That's where you got to go. You got to sell the Solana phone at Costco. That's my, that's my, that's my hot, hot and growth then hack. New, the, the, the new <laughs> Trump. Yeah, this, is why, just this is why Tarun does, uh, <laughs> Yeah, this is why Tarun does governance simulations and not growth hacking. Yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. But I, I do think this this hundred million dollars of gold thing was crazy because all these people I knew who were like, "Oh, Bitcoin's so dumb." Then later told me they bought gold at Costco, and I was like, "Interesting. <laughs> this is like a funny." Wait, who, okay, so tell me who is the demographic of people you know who are buying gold at Costco? Uh, Indian people. <laughs> Indian people are buying gold all the time. So I feel like that's not, that's just like a convenience thing. It's just like the closest place. But, but in particular, this, this fact that there's no fees. <laughs> I see. <laughs> it's I cheaper. See. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Do, but my point is like the Solana phone being this like airdrop thing, I feel like this is the, this is the move. there's so many, so much meme Do potential. they buy the gold though with, a, with an eye towards like selling it or flipping right, it? Let's stop. It okay. really just... I'm going to, I'm going to cut the Costco gold thing because this is, like not about crypto in any way. Robert, what are you what excited you about? What are you excited about in crypto? I am excited. You, you're not cutting this from the edit. No, I'm not cutting from the edit. I'm just cutting this thread. I'm cutting this thread. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm Fine. excited for two things. Um, one is restaking. And two are the myriad different point systems turning into tokens. Okay. Straightforward. Tom, what are you excited about? I, uh, by the way, I, I'm, I'm secondly excited about those. I think there's going to be more AVSs than there will be roll-ups. There will be more AVSs than there potentially. Yeah, more picks and shovels than end users. Well, it's more that like I think roll-up liquidity fragmentation naturally won't will lead to some amount of consolidation. Like people may like the UX is going to be worse and like things like that. So there's like some carrying capacity on mm -hmm. roll-ups. But I do think things that need security, uh, whether it's oracles, weird new cryptographic mechanisms, bootstrapping, all these like identity things, I, I, I think there might actually, there's a possibility there's more of those than the set of rollups conditional on liquidity fragmentation. And for the record, an AVS is something that uses restaking to get its security. That's what an AVS is. Okay. Tom, what are you excited about? Um... I'm going to sound kind of boring, but actually, I'll do two. Um, I actually do think the Tether story is pretty compelling. Um, I think even um, uh, it was, uh, I'm, I'm totally uh, blanking. Oh, um, Howard Lodnick, when he was on uh, CNBC, he was talking about the fact that like, yeah, Americans don't really need stable coins. Maybe they really want stable coins. But he's like, yeah, if you live in Turkey, if you live in Argentina, if you live in Venezuela, this is a godsend and this is like an incredible product. And so I think like 
overall, it just tells this great story about crypto. It's not really the story that maybe Satoshi wanted or people kind of envisioned, but like it is just kind of different delivering like raw pragma pragmatic utility to people and making their lives better. And like, I think that's a, that's a great story. And I think it's a great stepping to stone towards building something better. It's sort of like, uh, you know, um, um, shoot, what's the, what's the phrase? Uh, uh, the worse is better. This is kind of the, the same kind of philosophy mm -hmm. of like, it's just, it's a very pragmatic approach to like getting this in the hands of people versus, you know, bickering about where your, you know, rollup is going to like post its, its data. Like th this is actually just kind of delivering on, on the promise. So I, I really love this kind of the story about it. And I would see more being built on there in, in 2024. Um, and the flip side is just, I love the crypto casino stuff. Um, I just think it's like so interesting that this has been something that people have been trying to do. And then they've had sort of blips shining through um, of, of minor successes throughout the, the entire history of crypto. And now we're kind of starting to see like this thing actually, you know, take flight and real traction and real volumes going through these things. Again, I think this is hopefully a stepping stone towards a more open, transparent, fair, you know, iGaming um, environment. But it feels like, hey, there's at least something here and people are building and it's something that people want to use. And that's sort of a great um, first step towards building sort of that ideal outcome. What, what's the number one success story right now? Um, well, it depends. I mean, arguably it would be stake if you consider it sort of a crypto casino because they do take some crypto deposits. Um, they're you know gigantic, like I think several billion dollars in in uh, in gross revenue. But um, you know, Rollbit is is pretty solid. Um, stake is or Shuffle is pretty solid. So there are some decent players, but it feels like we're kind of in the maybe like. Bitfinex, Bitmex era of of this genre, and we're kind of waiting to see um, how this thing matures. What does it need to grow? Technology or legal clarity or better stable coins that can't rug get rugged? Uh, wait, better stable coins that can't. You think? Uh, as as in like they they do they have to only use tether? Because like I feel like I feel like for a lot of these casinos, they basically can't use. Some of they can't. USDC is probably. I think some of them do use USDC because they're all licensed, right? This is not, um, you know, a truly. Uh, remember the USDC terms of service, which we've talked about on the show a long time ago. I'm pretty sure the USDT, USDC terms of service restrict gambling. Oh, really? Okay, maybe I'm mistaken. Yeah, um, there's like all this weird stuff that USDC has, like this long terms of service that's like no debt settlement, no this, no that, and one of them I'm pretty sure is gambling. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure then. I think a lot of these, you know, have different flavors. Some of them are truly appeal to crypto people. And that is obviously a somewhat limited segment. Maybe that will grow over time uh, or maybe you can go mainstream from there. S some of them, you know, like, you know, Drake live streams for stake. And so like, it's obviously hyper mainstream. I'm hoping there's something in, in between of having sort of the nice UX that people like of a mainstream application, but maybe using crypto under the hood or also frankly, like, not relying on, you know, totally opaque centralized games to actually run the business logic. I'm hoping there's a little bit more transparency around that at some point, but, or the really least moving to like a non-custodial model would be nice. But um, for right now, I mean, it's kind of like the market is speaking and people are okay with uh, kind of the situation as is. I mean, Drake has inspired uh, meme coins on Swarm. That's true. We've we've come full circle. We've come full circle. That's true. I saw some um, Anita Max Win stickers on the street the other day. So that's exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> things move fast. Yeah, it is. It is. I I feel like I feel like yeah. The casinos are missing out on the meme coins. Yeah. Okay. So sorry. Um, I just to, just to follow up here because I um, wanted to make sure that I was getting this right, fact-checking myself here on Circle's Terms of Service, because uh, I, I just like to remind myself and everyone here how this works. So um, there are certain things called prohibited transactions in Circle's Terms of Service. They include um, anybody who's in a restricted territory, which I think is like sanctioned countries, so you're not allowed to hold USCC. Um, you cannot use USCC to buy any weapons, including firearms, ammunition, knives, uh, no controlled sub substances, including narcotics, prescription drugs, if you have a prescription, you're not allowed to use it with USDC. Um, related paraphernalia, steroids, um, blah, blah, blah. Just imagining all those all those guys at Equinox who are just like, <laughs> oh, man, I need my fix and like I can't send USDC. Gambling activities, including but not limited to sports betting, casino games, horse racing, dog racing, dog racing, games that may be classified as gambling, i.e. poker, 
or other activities unless they are authorized by the jurisdiction in which the user is based, as well as the jurisdiction in which the transaction takes place, and provide any such activities comply with all applicable law. Okay. Well, that's uh, why they have uh, hamster so, racing um, to get around well, the U.S. Clearly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So um, horses are prohibited. Hamsters are allowed. They're not. Prohibited. They're not explicitly disallowed. I'll say that. Got it. Got it. Um, no money laundering. Surprise, surprise. Uh, no Ponzi schemes, pyramid schemes, or MLMs. Uh, no goods or services that infringe on copyright. So apparently you can't you can't spend USDC to buy what is it Obama Sonic Inu Ten or whatever the apparently that's not allowed. <laughs> Probably even Anita Max Swin. <laughs> like I, I I don't I'm I don't even know if there must be someone who. There's another one. No credit repair services or other services that present consumer protection risks. Uh, no court order payments. No structured settlements. No tax payments or tax settlements. Um. No counterfeit no goods. No tax payments? What well, can wait, you wait, use wait. No tax payments? Yeah. No tax payments. No court order payments, structured settlements, tax payments, or tax settlements. I feel like the U.S. Uh, government would be super excited if people would pay their taxes in USDC. Why would they want that? I don't know. It would arrive instantly. Yeah. Why not? Uh, All the benefits of not having yeah. to wait for the bank. Uh, I mean, I don't think they want... Well, you can't pay your taxes in treasuries either, can you? You should be able to do that too, but that's a complex backend process, and it's who knows how to do it. USDC, so yeah, so just well, USDC, I mean, USDC is effectively private money, right? So obviously, they don't want you paying in like some weird. I mean, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, it is, it is true. Point, it is point. true that ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the usage of USDC probably falls into one of those. I think so, right? Yeah, hilarious. And then, and then the last I'm category. Like, what the fuck do people use USDC <laughs> for that doesn't? Qualify? The last category <laughs> is any other matters, goods, or services. From time to time, we communicate to you that are unacceptable. So basically, like they'll. By the way, this is not. You, you can't do this. So fuck you. Has Circle ever um, enforced that? Ever. Like, no, that's the thing. I'm sure they haven't, right? This is all written by lawyers. So I, I doubt they've ever enforced any of these things. But technically, FYI, Circle has the most restrictive um, uh, terms of terms of service of any stable coin that I've seen. So, and it largely is unchanged from the last time I remember this, which was like two years ago. This basically looks the same. So um, yeah, Circle, Circle is actually the most restrictive uh, by terms of service. Which is probably why it's not used in... Exchanges. Does Tether that, even have a terms of service? I'm sure they do. I'm sure they all do. But Tether well, is nowhere near this, as enumerative. This is very philosophical. You can obviously be a Tether user without ever, ever having seen a terms of service from Tether. It's true for USDC too, right? Like agree. someone says USDC, yeah. Unless it's on chain somewhere. I don't know if they put this in their smart contract. I mean, they claim, they claim that you abide by these terms of service if you hold the token. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm sure the, obviously these things have never been tried in court and like, you know, I'm sure they would not hold up because receiving USDC in a wallet by no means anyway, like it, it's almost like, oh, you installed our video game. Therefore you like are bound by our terms of service, even though you never signed anything or like even acknowledged it. Courts have largely viewed that as being non-binding and kind of bullshit. I assume the same would probably be true of a stable coin that just like arrives in your wallet and you're like, oh. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm not bound by yeah, that. Yeah, Shuffle reading. does support USDC. So if any Circle lawyers are listening to the podcast, you can go, you can go shut them down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, no, 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 because it says gambling if it's not allowed in the jurisdiction and by the user and by the blah, blah, blah. So if Shuffle is compliant, then oh, okay. it's fine, I okay. guess. But for, but for Rollbit, it might not be if Rollbit is not compliant, which I understand that it's like kind of curious there. So let, let me disclose after reading the uh, source code. Um, there are some terms in the USDC contract code themselves, which I can summarize very quickly. Uh, it, it simply just says copyright center, uh, 2018 permission is hereby granted free of charge to any person obtaining a copy of this software and associated documentation files to deal in the software without restriction, including without limitation to rights to use, copy, modify, merge, publish, distribute, sub-license, and or sell copies of the software and to permit persons to whom the software is furnished to do so subject to the following conditions. And then there's like no conditions. So the only terms in the actual USDC token contract themselves say go wild. Apparently, you're also not allowed to hold USDC if you're under 18. So I'm um, sorry to all the miners that are also listening to this podcast. Um, but miners with an O. Yeah, get rid of miners with an O. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Not minor with yeah. Because those crypto miners. <laughs> crypto miners, not crypto miners. I feel like that's a great shirt to wear to conference. That does yeah. not sound like a good shirt to wear to conference. Yeah, I don't know if I would be what? supposedly pro Yeah, I would not encourage yeah. you. I would very strongly not, not encourage crypto. you to put that on a shirt and arrive at a crypto conference. You will probably not, get kicked out. I said crypto miners, not crypto minors. I, maybe I should have <laughs> got the ordering correctly. <laughs> I think either way, I would discourage you from making that shirt and distributing that shirt out of out of out of concern for you as a friend. Okay, well, you know, don't use USDC if you're under 18. That's all right. This is why this is why Tarun is not your growth hacker, but is your your governance your governance advisor. I, you know, what do you, what do you, I, I, there's, there's, there's a, there's, there's different types of there's different types of <laughs> All right, great. Okay. I think, I think with that, um, we're ready to sign off. Thank you everybody. And, uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs>